0: Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome to The Christine Uptrich Show here on KKNW, 1150 AM in the Seattle area, and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I'm so grateful you joined us here today because we're going to have another fabulous guest, and we're going to be talking about... Life in a, a unique way, something we've never talked about. And I always get a kick, Benny, out of saying this is something new and different because after seven years or however long it's been that I've been doing radio, um, it's it's kind of fun to have something new and different. Who doesn't? It's challenging. Keeps yep. our our mind right. It Keep does. Going. We it don't want does. to be you
1: know complacent and all
0: that. And I really enjoy um, having me having- here. Yes, I know. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, the show wouldn't be the show without you, Benny. You know, you didn't expect that, did you? (laughs) No, but I really enjoy having guests who make me reconsider some of my beliefs. Yeah, and um, sort of shift my orientation about life because I think we get kind of stuck in our belief system. Mm -hmm. And our guest today does exactly that. Mm -hmm. Um, Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Nakmanovich, and he's the author of Free Play and his latest book, The Art of Is. I love that, the art of is. He performs and teaches internationally as an improvisational violinist, a lecturer, a workshop leader, and a multimedia artist. He holds degrees, well, from Harvard and the University of California, and he, his work spans many fields, exploring the spiritual and social underpinnings of art. He lives with his family on the East Coast in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, and I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Stephen Nachmanovich. Stephen, welcome.
2: Hi there. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: You know, I'm fascinated by your book, uh, "The Art of Is," and it's the subtitle is "Improvising as a Way of Life." Now, um, I know that you wrote a very popular book what decades ago called "Free Play," about improvisation, and you've chosen. To write a new book now. Why?
2: Well, I think we're in a different place in society. I think there are things that I've learned over the decades uh, since the last book, Uh, and uh, you know, part of it is um, in the difference between the word improvisation and the word improvising.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, I had a uh, there's a story in the book, uh, there's a chapter called Verbs and Nouns, and um, one time, uh, I think it was in 2007, uh, 2006, I was about to give the keynote talk at a conference of improvisers in Wales, and this was one of the few conferences that combined musicians, dancers, theater people, literary people, filmmakers, all kinds of artists. And... um, Of course, being an improviser, I never write down a talk before I give it. Uh, Yes. But I always go through, there's a certain period of panic before I give a talk where I think, okay, this is when I'm going, to. this is the one where I'll really make a complete fool of myself (laughs) in
0: public. And 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 what happened? It (laughs) always happens.
2: And um, anyway, so a few days before I went to Wales, I was in London, um, walking around the south bank of the Thames, which was very beautiful that mm-hmm. day, and I walked into a bookshop, and I was walking past some section in the bookshop, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a book with that was like fire engine red, uh-huh. with white lettering, that said, Improvising. Uh-huh. So, of course, I turned around and did a double take and, you know, what's this? Who wrote this? What did they have to say? Uh Um, But when I looked at the shelf, I couldn't find the book.
0: Isn't that interesting? And I started scanning
2: (laughs) up and down the shelves, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'd scrambled the letters of Uh some other book, something like that. But I didn't. It was actually a complete hallucination. And. Then I realized that actually I have just been given the theme of the talk that I needed to give. Mm -hmm. Because improvising, it's a present participle. It's a verb in the present
0: tense. Right.
2: It's something, you know, you and I are talking now.
0: And and we're improvising, aren't we? Yeah, we're
2: improvising (laughs) now, and and we've never talked Uh before. Okay. That's not to say that you and I are always talkers. Uh Uh-huh. Because we're often silent during the day. We're often doing other things. Right. But at this moment we're talking. Uh, We've never spoken before, so of course we're improvising together in conversation. Uh, You don't have to be a professional musician or actor to get up on stage and be able to improvise an art form. Mm -hmm. Everyone has conversations every day, and those are all improvisational. And so I realized that being a verb is a really important theme of this work. Mm-hmm. To realize that, you know, you're not stuck in, I am a writer, and if you say, I am a writer, then the days that you don't write or that you have trouble writing, you, now you have writer's block,
1: uh-huh. and
2: you now need cure for your writer's block. Right. And if instead you realize, I'm writing... You know, at 1 o'clock until 1.30 today, I was writing, whatever uh-huh. it may be. Right. It's an activity, and it takes place in real time, and it doesn't take place all the time. Uh-huh. And it gives us an entry into the moment and into the fact that everything changes.
0: Right. And when I think about nouns, and I, I know you mentioned this in, in your book, nouns are things. They're static. And um, the present participle, as in you know, improvising um, its action in the present moment. So why is it important not only to turn it into sort of an action word, but to bring it into the present moment?
2: Well, interestingly enough, when you say why, it is, why is it important, mm-hmm. um, I'll go in two different directions. Okay, the first direction is I'm calling you from uh, my um, home office and studio here in Virginia, Uh and somebody was just outside with a lawnmower. Mm -hmm. And let's say if this were a musical interaction rather than a conversation in words, um, the lawnmower would ruin the music if it was precomposed music. Mm -hmm. Okay, however, if it's an improvisation, then the lawnmower just becomes part of what is going on. It's not a disturbance. It's not anything but what you make of it. Mm. And to be able to, of course, John Cage, we know, helped introduce this kind of idea into our culture in many ways, Uh uh, as well as many other artists. Uh, But to be able to absorb what is happening, that's the art of is. The lawnmower is blowing. Now the lawnmower is not blowing. Mm-hmm. The is is to roll with that and respond to it. The second part of being present, interestingly enough, is that by being present right here and being sensitive to the details of what actually is happening now, you're more aware of context and you're more aware of things that are far away in space and time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we're living in an age when um, our species is busy destroying the biosphere, Right. and we seem to get busier and busier at it. And um, the consequences for society, the consequences for our future life, the consequences for our children, uh, these are often... Um, regarded by people as something far away or in the future.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: However, if you're really present and you see what is in front of you, you realize that you're part of a tissue of interrelatedness that includes the lawnmower, it includes the woods, it includes the pesticides, Mm -hmm. it includes people's intentions uh, and... uh, So strangely enough, by being very present in the moment and aware of context, you're aware of things that are also very big and hard to grasp.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, I talk about something called the vibration of change. I teach a workshop about it, and the vibration of change to me is that place where we are um, energetically connected to the here and now in the present moment, and that's where change takes place so it seems to me that on a global level we have to get to that place on an individual level of being aware and on some level allowing and and allowing ourselves to feel as well as to you know to come to to terms with the truth of the situation to yeah. uh, you know to have that possibility of inspired change
2: Yeah. yeah and this is where Art, in the broadest sense of the word, um, comes in to help us understand things, both uh, receiving art and creating art, Mm -hmm. because we are able to see, hear, feel things that are both immediate and far away, and the experiences of other people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that famous... uh, Line which we don't know if Abraham Lincoln actually said it when uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe visited him in the White House, where he said, so you're the little lady who made this big war. <laughs> and um, for people far away from slavery to become aware of slavery,
1: mm-hmm.
2: for people far away from anything that happens in the world that we might want to shun, uh, to become aware of it, you know, it's brought to us, it was brought to us by Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel. Um, Frederick Douglass, at the same time, uh, in the mid-19th century, was a huge fan of the art of photography mm-hmm. because he felt that photography was actually bringing people far away, close to the reality of suffering.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: And... That's what art does. You know. Whether it be a terrible reality or a blissful reality, we're able to expand our um, awareness of what's going on around us and to be more complete.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, I'm going to want to talk more about art and what that means for so-called non-artists. Stay tuned for more with Dr. Stephen Nakmanovich
3: if you have a sense that you were meant for more join heather allison every third tuesday at noon pacific as she explores an ancient forgotten energy within us and helps us access our original archetypal blueprint the golden path will help you remember the key to unlocking your life love success and magic you were meant for a key to unlocking your golden path visit heather-allison.com how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com, and listen to the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific with host Sherry Clark. You have the courage to be seen. See you later.
0: I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. For centuries, spiritual traditions have talked about how humans have an energy field, or aura, surrounding them. Although skeptical scientists refuted this for decades, science is now beginning to catch up with spirituality. Scientists can actually measure light emanating from living beings, so they can measure the human aura, which in scientific terms is known as the biofield. Many medical practitioners around the world use an instrument to evaluate a patient's biofield for the purpose of diagnosing illness. They understand that imbalanced or insufficient light in a person's energy field indicates a physical or emotional problem. The good news? There are ways to balance and increase your light, resulting in greater well-being. For more information, please check out StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Welcome back to the Christine Eppert Show here on KK and WN Transformation Talk Radio, and I do believe that was Dr. Stephen Nachmanovich himself. Is that right? Yep. What you can find on the internet these days, what the kids are doing. That's great. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's well yes. done. It was. It's a great piece. It is beautiful. Now, b- before the break, you were talking about the importance of, of like what we learn from art and how that brings us into the present moment and gives us a new kind of awareness. I had an experience, I don't know, maybe six months ago where I was lying in bed. It was one of those mornings where I didn't have to get up too quickly, and I was lounging, and then eventually I got my phone out. And I'm lying in bed, and I, I accidentally took a screenshot of, you know, or, or not, a, not a screenshot, but a, a photo, of, and I noticed how sideways my view was. And I'm thinking, I didn't recognize that I was that sideways- until I saw the photo of my position, and and yes, our, I'm grateful that our brains can compensate for like all that kind of off, you know, sensory and in, input. Like, okay, you're sideways, and your your head's a little, you know, um, off center, and 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 yet it was interesting to me. So interesting that I ended up writing a blog about it. That sometimes we think something's normal, but until we look at it through uh, the lens of the observer, uh, we don't see what the truth about it is. Yeah. Um, and so how do we apply the, the, the wisdom and the, the benefits of art, if we're not artists, per se?
2: Well, there's a way in which we're all artists. Uh, there was an um, episode in The Art of Is um, where I talk about knobbology, uh-huh. Uh, I was uh, in the hospital getting an echocardiogram to see what was going on with my heart, and um, I handed the woman who was doing it a thumb drive and asked her to please copy all the video files from the echocardiogram for me uh-huh. uh, because I wanted to what it looked like and perhaps make a piece of visual music out of it.
0: I love that.
2: (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I have a long uh, history with biological stuff as a source of art. Uh So that's really interesting to me. So she said, sure, I'm an artist too. Mm -hmm. And I asked her what her art form was. And I expected her to say that in addition to her medical job, she was also a singer-songwriter or photographer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And instead, she padded the echocardiogram machine, and she said this. And she started talking about something that's called knobology in that business. Uh-huh. The echocardiogram machine is full of knobs and dials. Right. And there are so many ways to adjust the contrast and the depth at which you're creating an image and the way in which you move the sensor over the person's skin. And um, the possibilities are endless. And she said that when she comes in in the morning and she sees studies of people's hearts that were done by her colleagues, uh-huh. she can tell each one, like, who did it.
0: Interesting. So
2: that even in something that seems to be as uh, objective and by the book as a medical procedure like that, Uh everybody has their individual style. Right. And to somebody who is um, inside the art form, those styles are recognizable.
0: Fascinating.
2: Yes, it is fascinating. You know, I mean, that was a very interesting lesson. Um, And it kind of takes... You know, it's easy for us to come up with platitudes about how all people are creative and mm-hmm. we, are, we are all artists in some way, you know, but that's kind of an empty statement. Sure. However, to sort of see it in practice with this person and her echocardiogram machine, uh, nobology is also a term of art on submarines and aircraft carriers. Huh. And you, you know, you can just visualize, especially the older. Uh, analog style of equipment where you have banks of controls and knobs and, you know, how do you tweak this one and how do you tweak that one?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's all a matter of personal style. And yet the purpose of the personal style is to produce a certain objective, clear image of something that you really need to see. Mm -hmm. So all of our attempts to produce Uh, objective clear images have to get filtered through somebody's being able and willing to tweak things and change things and adjust and have the skill and the practice of operating a piece of machinery or a musical instrument Uh or whatever our chosen medium is.
0: Right. I I think about something as simple as um, making a salad. Now I've had company staying over and, you know, volunteering to make the salad. And it can be the exact same ingredients as what I was going to use when if I made the salad. And they make it very differently. And it's fascinating to watch different approach to slicing, um, different yeah. shape of the lettuce, um, different arrangement of the vegetables within the bowl. Um, and it, it it's like, you know, it's something I just do automatically when I'm um, putting a salad together. I don't really think too much about it. And yet there must be some art to it if we do it so differently from one another.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, that, that's a really interesting example because it's a supposedly trivial thing. Uh-huh. But it isn't really trivial because, okay, where did, you know, your, there's your personal style of making the salad, but there's also your awareness of where the food comes from Mm -hmm. and how it got to you and all of the agricultural and industrial procedures and the whole history of organic evolution that's behind all of that. Right. So if a musician gets up with an instrument to improvise, either solo or or with another instrument, um, you actually, you know, people say, well, how do you... uh, how can you play music if you've got nothing to rely on? Mm -hmm. But actually, what you have to rely on is three and a half billion years of organic evolution. Mm. Everything that has ever happened can come to bear on what you do in this moment. Right. And when you do the salad, when everybody has their particular uh, style of chopping the lettuce, which results in a different texture, a different flavor, that sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that's um, that's really interesting, right. you know.
1: Yeah.
2: That is, uh, you know, another, uh, one of the meanings of the word art, I mean, the etymology of art is from um, the same root as articulation mm-hmm. or arthropod.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, an arthropod, like an insect or spider, right. has a lot of joints. Uh-huh. And articulation is a joint. Right. And it's actually about how do you put things together?
0: Hmm. How do
2: you find interesting ways of putting things together, which not only are interesting to you, but may reveal something about how the world around you is put together?
0: Right. Yeah. And I think about, you know, painters who are using the same medium, using the same colors, um, even painting the same... Image, how different the the effect can be when viewing that same, you know, I mean, the the, the same image that's been translated through the artist's eyes. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so there's such an individual mark on it, and it, and of course, as an observer of the art, it, you know, each of us is going to view it differently too. So. When you're improvising as a musician, um, do things always work out smoothly? Usually they do.
2: I mean, it's really interesting. You know, as, as I was describing before when I gave the example of my talk, uh-huh. which really happens almost every time, um, every time I give a talk or every time I give a performance, uh, you know, my wife is always laughing at uh, you know. I make uh, when I'm about to leave on a gig, and I say, "Well, this time I really don't know what I'm doing, and I've <laughs> lost it, and I just I just have nothing. I just I just have nothing. There's there's nothing up my quiver at all." Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, of course, she laughs at me because of course it always turns out well,
1: uh-huh.
2: and because conversations turn out. You know, right. I mean, certainly it's possible for disasters to happen,
1: uh-huh.
2: but by and large, you know, and there are times when you're tired, and times when you misread other people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's certainly possible to make mistakes. But by and large, most of the time, uh, if you learn to rely on the moment and rely on a kind of awareness of what's going on around you at that moment Mm -hmm. then things turn out well
0: yeah well I think about when I've taught in front of large groups of people how there's an aspect of um, reading what the audience needs to hear so you don't even have to like have them asking questions to direct your route it's kind of like this like sometimes I will have a direction that I'm I'm planning on going and then all of a sudden I'll, I'll just feel like nope what's needed right now is going that direction so it's 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 you know talking is also about listening even when you're teaching Exactly. we're going to go to another quick break but stay tuned for more about the art of is i'm christine upchurch and this is a stellar reflections minute what does the word healing mean many think that healing merely means eliminating symptoms However, based on my many years as a healer, I have a much broader perspective on the word. Healing can manifest in a variety of ways, including having physical problems resolved, becoming more emotionally centered, experiencing better relationships, gaining greater clarity, and feeling more spiritually connected. True healing always includes some level of transformation. Whatever form healing takes, there is one commonality, an improvement in quality of life. To me, the highest form of healing goes beyond aligning with wellness. It comes from recognizing our soul's voice and allowing it to speak through us. And in that sense, don't we all yearn to heal into our wholeness? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's
1: 425-999-9836.
3: Calling all moms. It's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, and loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power at work, home, and play. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms, helping everyday women create extraordinary lives every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit VibrantPowerfulMoms.com. Is traditional medicine not working for you? Do you still feel as if your health isn't 100%? Here at the Holistic Medical Center, Dr. Nushin Darvish and the qualified staff look through the dimensions of wellness and start a healing plan prioritized to your needs. Our physicians assess the whole you until complete health is achieved. Get the help you need by visiting drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404.
0: The vibration of change Welcome back to The Christine Napter Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. That was Dr. Steven Nakmanovich, and um, he is on right now, author of Free Play and The Art of Is, Improvising as a Way of Life. You know, when listening to that, just that little bit of, of um, improvised music, there, there are these moments where you're pausing, and I feel this real sense of anticipation, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if there is greater power in improvised music than there is in, you know, music that's been written down and you know played over and over again.
2: Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, Of course, the answer to that, like all questions, is yes and no. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So, um, yes, and improvise. And, of course, this is also, I mean, it's a feature of my style. Uh I mean, I have, I I know, fellow improvisers who like to play really fast and continuously, Uh and that's very impressive. Uh, But I, especially as I've gotten older, I become more and more interested in silence Uh and more interested in what happens in between the tones. Um, I remember uh, one time I was uh, a guest at the University of Michigan, and uh, Ken Fisher, who uh, who was the head of the College Music Society there, took me around campus and took me up to the top of the very famous bell tower Where they have, uh, you know, one of the biggest carillons in the world, and so he allowed me to fool around with it, which I'd never done before. And the thing that was interesting, of course, we often hear carillons playing, you know, a familiar piece of music that's just ringing out continuously, note after note after note. Uh, But what really interested me is that you played the bell. And those big bells have such a long reverb time. Mm-hmm. And why interrupt that
0: right.
2: with another sound? You know, let that sound happen. Because you don't actually need all of that extra, unless you're trying to prove your technical abilities.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you don't actually need all those other sounds. You, just, what, you can always say... I mean, uh, there's a saying from one of the old Chinese Zen masters that not even a good thing is as good as nothing. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the composer Morton Feldman. No. Uh, he uh, He wrote music that was very long, very slow, with a lot of silences in it, and very, very soft. I mean, he barely got above a pianissimo. And uh, I remember I met him when I was younger, and I heard his music performed at festivals, and I thought it was really boring. hmm And now that I'm older, I really like it.
0: Interesting. Why the change?
2: Well, I guess I've come to appreciate silence more. Mm-hmm. And when I used to teach workshops, uh, I used to give a lot of instructions. And now, if I'm really successful in a workshop, I will really keep my mouth shut.
1: Hmm. That's fascinating.
2: And people actually know what to do, and they know how to do it. And if you ask them verbally about that, of course, they think they need instruction. Uh Uh-huh. But actually, uh, it's so much more interesting to teach in silence and to just use gesture and sound and allow people the space to step forward and express themselves without saying, here's your instructions. this is what you have to do. Now I'll hold your hand and then you can do it.
0: Uh I, I think about conversation, which you talk about as being, you know, yeah. Um, something that we're continually improvising. Sometimes conversation can be like this excited, fascinating banter that's, that's quick, and, and you get something out of that. And other times the conversation can be slow with pausing to absorb, interpret, to feel. And both types of conversation feel very... Um, important and of Mm -hmm. value. Mm -hmm. Um, And of
2: course, how art is made is to balance those two. In what way? Well, I mean, if you have music or the pace of a novel or whatever the art form is, um, to balance the quick and the lively with the quiet and the near silent Mm. is really interesting. Yeah, it is. You know, to do all one thing is often less interesting.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, um, you know, again, people, people who are creating composed music or composed literature are always having to balance people's expectations with surprise, and it's good to have some surprise and some expectation, uh-huh. you know, and too much of one is not as interesting as mixing them both
0: right and i think about some of of the best comedy movies over the years where there there's that lively fun but you get into the how do i put this it's it's like you get more into the depth of the of one of the characters you know usually yeah. the protagonist and you, there, there's this, this quiet absorbing of who they are and what their motivations are. So it, that, that kind of balance is, yeah, you're right. It's very important, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I mean, there's a story I tell in the book about um, John Cage, where, of course, you know, Cage was uh, one of the pioneers. I mean, actually, the pioneers go back for centuries, but he was one of the pioneers in the past century, of introducing noise into music and introducing ambient sound, and people paying attention to, you know, coughing and mm-hmm. birds singing and outside sound,
1: uh-huh.
2: and uh, so he lived in, uh, in the teens in the village in New York, and I was visiting him in his apartment, and uh, a siren, you know, an ambulance or police car went by with its blaring siren. Uh-huh. And he turned to me and he said, "When I was younger, I was really interesting. I was really interested in those kinds of outside sounds, like sirens and traffic noise. But now that I'm old, I'm really interested in more subtle sounds, like the noise of the refrigerator
0: mm. turning on and off." And it seems to me that, in order to um have interest in something like the refrigerator sound, you need to first become aware of it. And that yeah. that that aw- awareness of something subtle um, takes a little bit more, I don't know if it's, uh, attention, I guess, than something like a blaring ambulance siren. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go to another quick break, but when we return... Um, There's a fascinating story about a speech that's really famous that you don't want to miss. Um, Stay tuned for more with Dr. Steven Nachmanovich about the art of is, improvising as a way of life. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. As a former research statistician, my scientific background is what many would call sensible. For more than a decade now, I have been working in the field of energy medicine, facilitating sessions and teaching around the world. People from the mainstream often ask me, how did a sensible woman like you end up working in such an alternative field? Implicit in their question is the underlying assumption that the field of subtle energy, such as energy healing and intuition, isn't sensible. But I believe it is very sensible. Even scientists are able to measure aspects of this. Approaching life from an energetic perspective brings us new opportunity for healing and transformation. And from a practical standpoint, even if you can't rationally explain how something works, If you experience a shift from it, then doesn't it make it pretty sensible? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836, that's 425-999-9836. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Corbett Kuyper on her hit show, Beyond Grief Radio, redefining loss and grief as Angie shares through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind that creating anything is possible, even in death. Tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on transformationtalkradio.com. For more information or to listen to past shows, visit angiecorbettkuyper.com. That's StellarReflections.com. Welcome back to the Christine Uptert Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. Before we go any further, Stephen, I want to make sure our listeners know how they can connect with you. Uh, What's your website?
2: Website is FreePlay.com.
0: And I think that this fall you've got um, a special event going on down in I'm going to say it wrong because it would annoy those people. <laughs> New Orleans or New, Nor- Orleans. New Orleans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh,
2: last year, um, there was a wonderful uh, conference uh, called "Improvisation: New Orleans' Gift to the World," uh-huh. uh, and uh, I was there. It was organized by a good friend of mine, Randy Fertel, with other colleagues, and uh, it was really a wonderful event. And uh, this coming November, we're going to have the second annual conference, and I'm really looking forward to that. Right. It, the, the nice thing about these kinds of things is that they combine people from many, many different fields.
1: Uh-huh.
2: So you had uh, musicians, theater people, chefs, um, political people, writers, all kinds of people. hmm And... Uh, each person's experience is different and reflects something valuable through the other people's experience.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And your website is freeplay.com, F-R-E-E-P-L-A-Y?
2: F-R-E-E-P-L-A-Y.com.
0: F-R-E-E-P-L-A-Y. Named I, after my first book. Right. Uh, and I love that that phrase, free play. Because I think, first of all, play is wonderful and We all seek freedom of expression, you know, freedom in a variety of ways. And uh, I love that. Freeplay.com. Okay, so I promised our listeners um, that you've got a story to share about uh, a speech.
2: Yes. Well, this is actually the opening of the book because it's kind of a parable for template for everything that develops in the book through all the different art forms that I talk about and that is uh, I actually heard about this uh, in 2013 it was the anniversary of the great uh, of the March on Washington uh-huh. and uh, Martin Luther King's speech at the Lincoln Memorial and uh, they had I was just listening to the radio and uh, in my car, on the way home, and Clarence Jones had just written a book about this speech. Clarence Jones was Dr. King's speechwriter and close friend and lawyer, Uh and collaborated with him on a lot of things. And um, he was, Jones was talking about the famous I Have a Dream speech, and pointing out that the written speech that was prepared, did not mention dreams. Mm. And um, Dr. King started giving the speech, and if you look at the many film clips of him giving the speech, you can see him staring down at the lectern reading his speech. Uh-huh. And seven paragraphs into the speech, one of his closest friends was the great gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, and she had just sung, and then sat down, and then Dr. King spoke,
1: uh-huh.
2: and um, she was a friend whom he often talked to on the phone about his worries and troubles, and uh, he had mentioned to her that several months uh, he had mentioned to her several months before that he had given a speech on this theme of. Dream Mm -hmm. in uh, Detroit, and he wasn't really that satisfied with it, and he Uh thought it kind of fell flat. Uh And there he is in front of 250,000 people reading this carefully prepared speech, and Mahalia Jackson shouts out at him, Tell them about the dream, Martin! Tell them about the dream! And instantly, He pushes his papers aside to the left. You can see it. He lifts his head up, and he looks straight at the audience, and he begins improvising.
0: And what did he say? How did he begin it? (laughs) we know. I have a dream. Yes.
2: (laughs) And, you know, what he said in that speech um, was so poetic. Uh, I mean, he had said similar things before, but this time... It was different. Uh Uh, And, of course, it came from many different sources. You know, there was... uh, Gandhi was such a huge source for him. The Bible was Mm -hmm. such a huge source for him. Mm -hmm. The Declaration of Independence. Shakespeare. You can find all these kind of verbal traces of the influences on him as he improvised that great speech. And... Of course, what was going on was that all of these influences had been kind of integrated within his belly Mm -hmm. so that what came out was him. Right. As a human being, interdependent with all of those other influences that he had in his life.
0: And there in the moment, improvising. His passion. There in the
2: moment, improvising and doing what must be done.
1: Uh
2: And he, um, of course now children study the speech in school, and there's the written transcript of it, and so it's all treated as though it was all one speech. There's Mm -hmm. the opening part that was written, and the
0: We've just got a couple of minutes left here. What's your advice for our listeners about uh, how to take the wisdom, the power, and the the joy, the life force of improvising, and integrate it into our daily living?
2: Well, the first thing is to really pay attention, Mm -hmm. so that you see here and feel everything that's around you. Um, When I teach workshops, people often, you know, we're paying attention to these trivial noises like the creak of a door down the hall and that sort Mm
1: -hmm. of thing, Mm -hmm. or the
2: birds outside, or the children playing outside. But the more you can learn to pay attention to these simple things that are around you, the more you're then able to pay attention to and creatively engage with the skills that you've acquired Mm -hmm. to integrate the skills that you've acquired into a more complete sense of being. Mm -hmm. I I talked about Dr. King's speech and how there were so many influences that came to bear on that speech. But what came out was him Mm -hmm. because he had digested it all. Right, you know, and that's what we all can do to begin to regard just simple actions like, you know, rubbing your hand against the wood grain of the table, mm-hmm. and exquisitely feeling all the detail, and expanding from there to doing skilled and practiced action in whatever your chosen field of activity is, mm-hmm. and to you know, and just as you can um, pay attention to the seemingly trivial noises in the room around you, you can then also pay attention to the more difficult and more distant noises of the troubles that are happening in the world around us,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and to be able to respond to them.
0: Right, and and of course we all process that differently so it would be a, a different um, different kind of awareness in a sense and uh, a, a different creation. You know, this is fascinating, Stephen, and I'm sorry we've run out of time, but I, I want to thank you for joining me here today. It's been a fascinating conversation and a wonderful book, The Art of Is. Thank you, Stephen. Thank
2: you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you.
0: And I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, again, I want to remind you that um, Stephen's website is freeplay.com, and if you want to hear this in archive form, share this with others, you want to see what type of work I do, read some of my blogs, please go to christineupchurch.com, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.